Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Of radio. You are listening to Texas History Lessons, a slow walk through Texas history made in Texas by a Texan for everyone everywhere. Welcome to Texas History Lessons. I'm Michael. And in this episode, we reach the seventh part of the Texas Cattle Drives, 1866-1890. And it's the final part of this particular project. It's not the last we're going to be talking about these subjects. We're going to take each one of these sections in the future and expand on them. Expand on it and add to it. This is pretty much just a foundation project that I did a long time ago. And it's providing a blueprint for things to look deeper into and to improve on. I want to thank everybody that's given me positive feedback on this project. And so let's just get to it. Let's finish it out. Part 7. The end of the long drive. Now throughout, from the very beginning of these episodes on the Texas cattle drives. We've shown why it was needed, why it was profitable, how a fairly small group of businessmen profited enormously from it. And with this episode, we're going to show why this phenomena of the long drive came to an end. And there are several reasons for the termination of the long drive that can be presented. One, is barbed wire and the growth of agriculture in the Midwest. Two is the expansion of the railroads into Texas, as we covered in the last part. And three is the Kansas quarantine laws of 1885. Now, these are the most common explanations, and they all hold true. Each is a piece of the ever-changing puzzle that is history. David Gallinson, an economic historian, claimed that not one of these can by itself present a good enough explanation of why the drive to Kansas ended so suddenly as it did in 1885 and came to a definite dead conclusion by 1890. Together, they explained the inevitable decline of the long drive, but not its sudden termination. A fourth piece of the puzzle 
The overstocking of the northern range helps to clear up the question. The nature of the long drive changed during the 20 years that Texans drove cattle northward. The Texas cattlemen, being businessmen first and foremost, obviously sent their most valuable cattle to cattle town markets. When the drives really began on a very large scale in 1867, the most valuable cattle were the mature four-year-olds that satisfied the great demand for beef following the war. As previously mentioned, the Missouri, Kansas, and Texas Railway reached Denison, Texas in 1873. The Texas and Pacific reached Dallas that same year. But, despite this, for 12 years more, the drives continued. The twofold reason for this lies behind the high shipping charges of the Texas lines and the changing makeup of the Texas cattle drives. After 1873, shipment of cattle from Texas and the Indian Territory to Chicago by rail tended to increase. Now, here are some statistics. For example, in 1880, cattle driven to Kansas equaled a core about 394,784, and cattle shipped by railway to Chicago numbered 88,600. 1881, 250,000 cattle were driven to Kansas. 143,380 were shipped to Chicago. 1882, 250,000 were driven to Kansas. 346,300, over double than the year before, were shipped to Chicago. 1883, 265,000 driven to Kansas again, with the number of 256,340 being shipped to Chicago. 1884, there's a big jump. 416,000 driven to Kansas. The number still increased of being shipped, though, 358,374. 1885, 350,000 driven to Kansas, and then the number stops. 1885, there were 298,188 shipped to Chicago. Then 1887, you go up to 486,528 shipped to Chicago. And in 1888, 547, 185 were being shipped to Chicago. Drastic changes in a very short amount of time. What these numbers show is the increased shipments of four-year-old cattle to slaughter in Chicago and the abrupt end of trail driving to Kansas. After the mid-1870s, four-year-olds were more likely to be shipped from Texas than driving. However, cattle trailing did continue, averaging over 300,000 head of cattle per year from 1878 to 1885. And we're going to take a short break, thank Age of Radio for hosting Texas History Lessons, and we're going to look at the reasons why there was a change. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news... 
Leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's peanut butter cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Now, the reasons for this have been examined in an interesting study by historian David Gallinson at Harvard. The cattlemen driving herds in 1866 to forts and Indian reservations realized that there were very good areas for grazing cattle. Even before 1866, several people realized that it could be profitable to raise cattle on the range. Some were travelers to the Pacific coast who decided to stop and raise stock. Others were miners who, when their dreams of gold never panned out, decided to return to a special spot they remembered on the trip west. Some of the earliest ranches in Nebraska were set up by Texas cattlemen who wintered their cattle there before shipping them east. With the defeat of the Southern Plains Indians in 1875, the United States Army focused increasingly on pacification of the Northern Plains Indians, especially after Custer's fall at Little Bighorn. Colorado, Wyoming, Montana, Idaho, and the Dakotas were opened up increasingly to ranching. A similar movement occurred in the Texas Panhandle in 1875 after the last renegade Comanches and Kiowas surrendered to reservation life. Enormous investment in ranching occurred, and Texas was the source for stocking these northern ranges. Kansas towns became more involved as markets for stocking northern ranches, as well as shipping centers east. By 1880, yearlings were the dominant type on the cattle drive to Kansas. In 1885, W.H. Miller, secretary of the Kansas City Board of Trade, wrote that during the past six or seven years, nearly all of the drive has been made up of stock cattle for ranges north of Texas. Cattle trailing remained the method for northern transport of cattle because it remained a cheaper method. One of the greatest transport agents, Captain John Little, wrote that during the late 1870s into the 1880s, the cost of sending cattle over the trail was about $1.25 per head. The cost of railway is about $4 a head. Other reasons existed also for trail driving. In fact, the northern ranchers preferred it. It was common knowledge that cattle driven over the trail were less likely to spread Texas fever than railroad shipped cattle. No one knew what caused Texas fever at the time, but later on it was discovered that the ticks causing the fever were usually lost by the time the Longhorn stepped into Kansas on the trail. In 1884, when a direct shipment was made from Texas to Kansas by rail, 
the Texas cattle spread fever to the herds they contacted. About 1876, it became more profitable for Texans to send yearlings northward, and four-year-olds began to be shipped by rail for slaughter in larger amounts each year. Gallantin calculated that in 1883, a shift occurred, and it again became more profitable to trail older cattle to Kansas. He wrote that the drives continued into 1885 because the ranchers probably did not make these fine calculations. And even if they did, there was always some risk involved in holding their cattle. But perhaps a stronger reason for the drive's continuation is found in the drovers. As long as there were profits for them, the drovers might be expected to try to keep driving cattle. In 1885, Gallatin points out, the rate of return for drovers was at the lowest point in the phenomenon's 20 years. Northern prices continued to drop, giving little reason for drives to continue on such a massive scale. The speculative boom in ranching peaked in 1881 and 1882. The boom in ranching led to overstocking the northern range. As time passed, people's demand and taste for Texas beef decreased. These factors combined to produce falling prices. Texas cattlemen found that they had to begin upgrading their herds with British breeds. Gallantin wrote, After 1883, there was no reason for Texas cattle to stock the ranges, and after 1885, with the drop in cattle prices resulting from the maturation of the cattle already on the northern ranges, there was not only no need for them, but a positive reason why Texas cattle should be prevented from coming north, for they only serve to increase supply and further depress the price of beef. Keeping this in mind, it's easier to understand why the 1885 quarantine laws were enforced while quarantines had been overlooked for the past 20 years. The reasoning was economic in nature. The chief of the United States Bureau of Statistics wrote in 1885 that it appears to be a fact beyond all controversy that very many of the present occupants of the northern ranges, constituting probably more than a majority of their total number, are openly opposed to the driving of Texas cattle to the northern ranges upon consideration of a purely commercial and economic nature. They do not want to be confronted by the competition of Texas cattle in their midst. Demand for Texas cattle on the northern range rose again after 1890. However, the long drive could not could not reemerge on a large scale because of a very particular reason. The spread of farmers with barbed wire and the ever-increasing expansion of the railroad. The Texas railroads eventually began to offer more favorable rates, and in 1891, the Texas legislature established a regulatory commission to manage the railway rates for shipping. Dodge City had its last big year as a cow town in 1885. From 1883 to 1885, Texas cattlemen called on the United States government to open a national trail to keep the drives going. Nothing was accomplished, however. By 1890, the phenomena of the long drive had practically ended completely, the same year as the massacre at Wounded Knee and the government's declaration that the frontier had closed. In conclusion, 
the cattle trailing industry benefited Texas and the West a great deal. Wayne Gard credits the Chisholm Trail itself with a significant role in Western history. The effects that Gard cited can be broadened to encompass the cattle trailing industry in general. The drives of 1866 to 1890 accomplished what was possibly the greatest migration of domestic animals in history. Guard credits the trail with helping Texas get back on its feet economically following the Civil War. Western and Southwestern Railroad construction was spurred by the cattle drives, and the cattle helped to relieve the shortage of beef in other parts of the country following the Civil War. Guard even says that some of the cattle provided an item of export needed to serve European wants and to help balance this country's balance of trade. Other cattle stocked the northern ranches, facilitating the spread of cattle into the northern part of the Great Plains Rocky Mountain region. This overstocking both accounted for the explosion of the narrow cattle raising fringe of the east and contributed to the demise of the long drive itself. Guard also says the trail gave quick expansion to meat packing industries in Chicago, Kansas City, and elsewhere, and sped the development of refrigeration for the transportation of meat. Despite its beneficent effects, the failure of cattlemen to adapt as time progressed was not good. Historian Jimmy Skaggs gives an excellent analysis of the cattle trailing industry. He wrote, in essence, Texas and the rest of the cattle producing West and Southwest served the East as a colonial outpost in a mercantile framework. Cattlemen supplied raw material that was processed further eastward, and the overwhelming majority of profits in the meat industry came from the value added by processing. Thousands more Westerners could have worked for nationally important meat packers located in the area than ever were gainfully employed by cattle contractors. Therefore, even though the transportation agent was important to the region by providing jobs for drovers, by performing a service for ranchers, and by furnishing a fluid economic base for frontier cattle towns, his activities also had a countervailing impact. With him, the area benefited economically, conceivably with him as a meatpacker, it would have prospered immensely. Millions of dollars flowed into the West and Southwest during the three decades following the American Civil War because of the rancher and the contractor. Hundreds of millions more would have flooded westward had the meat packing industry been centered there. Fort Worth might have surpassed Chicago's record in the trade and Denver that of Kansas City. Had the men of the cattle industry adapted to the times rather than seeking a legislative solution in the form of a national trail, these situations might have occurred. The historian must be concerned more with what did happen, though, than what might have happened or what will happen. It is the nature of the study. Though this project is far from complete, it does show that at the close of the American Civil War, there was an economic void between the increasing demand for beef in the north and east and a massive supply in Texas. Texas railroad development still lagged behind the rest of the country and no out-of-state line connected with the state. Into this void stepped the entrepreneur, cattlemen, speculators, 
and transportation agents adapted to the need of the day and began the era of the long drive. Cattle drives had occurred before and since, as I had to make clear earlier on to some people. I'm not saying cattle drives ever started and ended in this time period, but never on such a scale and over such a distance so consistently year after year. In the first year, Texans drove the herds primarily to Sedalia, Missouri. Due to hardships and loss inflicted by the growing settlements in eastern Kansas and western Missouri, Texans gave up on this and turned to a route farther west, the Chisholm Trail. And the Chisholm Trail led to the sparse village of Abilene, Kansas, where another enterprising gentleman, Joseph G. McCoy of Illinois, sought to establish a major shipping point for cattle. He had built a shipping yard and negotiated favorable railroad shipping rates. Even after the Missouri, Kansas, and Texas Railway and the Texas and Pacific Railway reached Texas in 1873, the drives continued. It remained cheaper to drive the cattle northwards than to ship them. The greatest year of the cattle drives was 1871, when over 600,000, let me repeat that, over 600,000 Texas Longhorns made the journey northward to Kansas. The lowest years of the drive, disregarding the slow start between 1866 and 1868, was in 1874 and 1875, following the economic panic of 1873. Only 166,000 and 151,618 cattle were driven in those years, respectively. After these years, the drives continued, however, with their nature and purpose changed somewhat. Increasingly, four-year-olds were shipped from Texas by rail to Chicago, while yearlings were driven northwards. These yearlings stocked the northern ranges. This change eventually led to the demise of the trail driving industry due to a combination of overstocking the northern range, increased settlement, and growing use of the Texas Railway. By 1885, it simply was not profitable enough to keep driving to Kansas on such a massive scale. Conceived and born due to economic motives, trail driving as an industry died a natural death from economic causes incurred during its 20-year life. The cattle drives had provided employment for thousands of young men following the war and an economic stimulus to several Texas and Kansas towns. Cattle driving occurred during and was affected by the pacification of the Native American population living on the Great Plains. Charles Goodnight, Oliver Loving, Captain John T. Little, John S. Chisholm, Joseph G. McCoy, Jesse Chisholm, and even Quanah Parker are but a few of the people involved in these events. The activities they pursued inevitably had to come to an end, and though brief in the span of time, they have been thoroughly ingrained into the imagination and identity of the United States of America. And with that, we're going to close out this episode. We're going to close out this long project on the Texas cattle drives of 1866 to 1890. Thanks so much for listening. I appreciate the positive feedback regarding this. And as I've said, we're going to be adding to it in the future. More detail will come out about the Texas 
cattle industries early years during the Spanish Texas era and afterwards. We'll get a lot better picture of what life was like and cattle raising industry was like before the Civil War. With that, again, I want to say thanks. Thanks to all of my Patreon supporters for contributing and helping me do the show. I want to thank everybody that's had positive feedback through emails and on Twitter. It means a lot. And don't forget, don't forget Texas History Lesson Spotlight artist Mondo Salas and his band Rosemond. They're so talented, so many good songs. And I'm looking forward to what they're going to do in the future. So be good to yourself. Take care of each other. Adios. Summer's hot as ever. It ain't the weather. It's to get in by. Grandma. Lately, I have to say